it's no more effort or risk to go after something really big than, than something just moderately big. So you may as well just quit wasting time and go for the, the really big stuff. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Paul Spain. Now, very pleased to announce this is our 500th episode. Yes, that's right. We launched way back in early 2011 and we are now closing in on 10 years since the very first NZ Tech Podcast episode. I'll, of course, be sharing a few thank yous this episode, but they will come uh, later on towards the end. But for this episode, what I really want to do is focus in on what's next for New Zealand, the role of tech and innovation. How can that help? And particularly looking at it during this time of COVID-19, where New Zealand is in quite a unique position globally. So in order to help with that, I'm going to share Uh, A few of my thoughts wrapped up uh, in an interview that I did recently. Also, we'll be hearing from some people that really have some great thoughts on the future of New Zealand and who have played uh, important uh, roles within uh, the tech sector here in New Zealand and also internationally. So those uh, people coming up are Zero founder Roger Drury, Rocket Lab founder and chief executive Peter Beck, Anna Komenik of autonomous electric air taxi firm Whisk, along with San Francisco-based Bill O'Connor. So let's uh, jump in, and rather than hear me monologuing on uh, my thoughts around the opportunity for New Zealand, I thought I'd cheat a little bit. Um, So I'm going to drop in uh, a part of an interview that I did on TV3's AM show recently, and then we'll be hearing from our other guests. Uh, What would it mean for the New Zealand economy if we invited the most successful and the fastest growing tech companies to set up shop here in New Zealand? What would be the benefits for the tech industry to have the innovators on our shores? How would it work and would you allow them quick passage through New Zealand, none of this quarantine stuff? Joining us now to explain is Guerrilla Technology CEO and futurist Paul Spain. G'day Paul, good idea. Good morning. Is it going to happen? Well, I'd like to see it happen. We're bringing in the film industry, obviously America's Cup. Now, those are good you know, good decisions, but we need something that's really strategic, that's going to build and grow. And we look at our technology sector, uh, the Technology Investment Network advised at the end of last year mm. that our top 200 uh, tech companies are already generating $12.1 billion, and that's growing at a billion dollars a year. So the prediction was that within three to five years, tech would be our biggest exporter now while we've got all the other troubles going on let's really accelerate that let's try and bring the world to New Zealand so, so how do you that do that, I mean, that who's, who's the person that goes and, and, and sort of does that you send a letter to all these companies hey we're from New Zealand well, I'll I, give, you, I, give I, you a tax break oh I, no you don't pay tax that's alright well we've got enough people with, with global connections already right so uh, we've got uh, Peter Peter Thiel who's yep. Silicon Valley based he's Kiwi. heavily invested here and Kiwi. has a New Zealand passport yes. uh, Rod Drury Peter Beck we've got and we've got thousands of others within Silicon Valley and the tech sector globally. So if we put that word out, and I don't think we need to to a great degree anyway because the rest of the world is trying to beat a path to New Zealand. We just saw a report in the last few days saying 
hey, you know, this is the country that people want to come to. What can we offer them? You've got to entice carrots. What do do we offer them? Well, New Zealand's already got it. Everyone wants to come here because it's a safe place to be. You know, COVID COVID is only within that uh, sort of quarantine lockdown at the border and maybe a you know hospital status, right? So once people have gone through that quarantine, uh, they can come in and actually they can be safe. Look at Silicon Valley. Look at the rest of the US. Everyone's either wearing masks or getting sick. I go backwards. Uh, I think the numbers are going going up. So now's the time for New Zealand to move. The very strategic thing to do. Well, thanks very much to Duncan Garner at TV3 for hosting me there. Now, without further ado, let's jump in to our interviews. Rod Drury is first up. Rod, of course, founded Zero, which is now the top-selling cloud accounting software in New Zealand, Australia, and the UK, and it has a market cap of around 14 billion New Zealand dollars. So an incredible success story there uh, for New Zealand. Well, great to have you on the on the show, Rod. It's always a privilege to have you here, and uh, you know, exciting to have you here for our five hundredth episode. So, uh, thanks for joining. That's fantastic, Paul. What a huge achievement getting to uh, five hundred. So, on behalf of the tech industry, um, thanks so much for just keeping the conversation going for what's well, quite a few years now, isn't it? Yeah, we're getting close to ten. Wow. What I wanted to talk about today was really the opportunity that we have in that New Zealand is in this position that is almost unique in the world. There aren't too many other countries that are like us where really the only COVID that we see at the moment is within quarantine areas. And we know that could change at any point. But you know, I've just been thinking about, well, how do we take advantage of this window of time? Do we uh, try and you know, invite uh, you know tech companies in to set up local offices here and and try and uh, you know grow our um, tech sector? Or what are the other things that we potentially could do? I'm just kind of curious on on whether you think that's a good approach or whether there's something else we should be doing. Yeah, I think it's a great idea, Paul. So. The first thing I think that's really important is understanding that, like we we are, are, are in a very fortunate position right now, and uh, you know the, at the time that we are recording this, Victoria has just announced another seven hundred more cases and twelve deaths. You know, very very close to us. So I think we have to assume that we may have an outbreak here, and I think what's really important is that we should be using this time, this extra kind of breathing room we have, to just keep doing what we were doing. We, I think we've got to um, keep reinforcing to New Zealanders we're in a very lucky and fortunate position, but it may change at any time. So I'd be investing heavily in contact tracing systems, getting the border right, doing all those things so that um, New Zealanders are aware of that fortunate position we are and we get really good. We're using this time to practice so we don't have to go back into a full lock if, if there are some outbreaks. So things like continuing to invest in the, co- you know, whether it's a card or it's an app, I don't think that really matters. Actually getting New Zealanders into the habit of checking in and getting the apps to give feedback back, you know, a bit like iOS screen time, you know, you had a potential thousand contacts in the last week and put some flybys points on it. Getting really good at that at this time makes a whole lot of sense so that we can then, if we want to bring people in for these opportunities that you talk about, we get that border system right. And there's a, you know, I think more investment in that right now makes a whole lot of sense. And I think um, you know the opportunity is because we are probably three to six months ahead of many countries is using this um, unique opportunity to rather think of it as a cost. Let the public sector co-invest because I think there'll be great New Zealand businesses that can 
build these systems and then export them through the world with all of this experience, which is a cool thing. And then leading on to visas, I think, you know, that absolutely makes sense. If you get the border right, if you get the systems, if there is an outbreak right, then we can have a good look at are there particular types of visas or, you know, to give access to particular groups of people. And then again, there's a whole, whole spectrum from, uh, we've talked about, you know, English as a second language students, that international student market coming through. Um, but I think there's some other opportunities, talking to some Kiwi kids up at Stanford, that sort of two or three years they were hoping to have up there in campus life, well, that doesn't exist. Um, you know, all the courses are online, the faculty's too scared to go in in case they get sick. So even thinking about why wouldn't, could we, you know, open up a campus in Queenstown for like a Stanford or a Harvard or an Asian business school or London School of Economics and allow a whole, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, 50 faculty and 1,000 students to come down and be down here through to, um, you know, taking New Zealanders on a journey to educate them that there may be benefits of having a Microsoft or a Google or a Facebook open a new campus through to all sorts of other, um, you know, types of things that we can do. So I think that's the exciting thing right now. And, you know, a bit of good news we heard today was Rob Fife's been appointed as the government to business liaison person. So now there's a, um, a person that can filter some of these crazy ideas and can reach out to industry and say, hey, look, you know, here's some opportunities. We need some investment. And, um, you know, let's work together as a team and, and uh, do some investments that grow our long-term futures. That's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly very interested in those things that are going to flow on into the into the longer term. Now, we have this challenge at the moment around the border having to uh, house people for 14 days in quarantine. Any thought on that? Is that the right thing to do? Are there other, are there other mechanisms that we could, uh, could use so that we could be bringing maybe a few more people into the country at all? Yeah, I mean, I've heard some great ideas, which are, you know, certainly we're talking about. There was the idea of bringing, you know, um, uh, of, of bringing cruise ships in from Asia with students where you put the quarantine systems on the boat. And for the, you know, two weeks it takes for them to come down, you can be doing that quarantine as well. And maybe they're doing a few courses. Obviously, a whole lot of issues to think about with that. But that was kind of interesting. I think there'll be a lot. Um, there, there's a lot of investment, not just in vaccines, which I still think may take three years. But there may be some more better, you know, R and D around diagnostic tools, so you can have more confidence people don't have the disease before they come in. That that'll be interesting. Then I think around, you know, it's, at the moment it's a big cost to the taxpayer, and there's obviously people who you would think would have a right to come back, and we would uh, fund them to quarantine for two weeks. But there be maybe some other people where they they would be happy to pay for a house and have all the systems, and you might have a bond or a fine if they um, uh, could create any risk. You know, there's all sorts of opportunities that we could do to bring more people in, but they have to pay for it. And, uh, you know, I think there's some good things we could do there. I mean, all of these commercial things about opening campuses or, um, you know, people doing more film work, um, you know, that, that you would expect that would be a user pays scheme. And, it, you know, it creates job opportunities for people monitoring and building systems, you know, supplying food, um, and, uh, you know, checking that all the rules are, are being adhered to, you can sort of see there might be, uh, you know, like a midterm opportunity to create a, a few thousand more jobs just doing that. Yeah, yeah. And just looking at uh, at zero, you employ a lot of people within the, the tech sector here in New Zealand. How hard is it to find the right people? 
and what do you think is the the solution maybe to to the challenges that you would sometimes have in terms of you know getting those people here in New Zealand? So this is this is a really real issue for us at Zero. I caught up with uh, Steve, the CEO, for lunch today, and uh, you know we've got offices closed now in Hong Kong, Melbourne, the UK, the US. So the vast majority of our staff are all working from home. So we've had to build all sorts of systems from that and be learning how to do things. And now we've had to, for the first time, onboard staff that haven't um, you know, been into a physical zero office. So there's a lot of uh, things that we're doing around building, con- uh, building culture and checking in. And it was really interesting talking to Steve how much longer people are working so while while you're at home, you know if you're a um, if you're in a global business like ours, there's always people to talk to, and you end up just spending a whole lot of time, a whole lot more screen time. You're not getting out, walking around, having a walking meeting, or grabbing a coffee with somebody. It's pretty intense, and it's fascinating hearing that Google news around their offices are going to be closed, and, and a lot of the U.S. companies are just making a blanket around the whole world. You know, don't come back from the office for the next year. And I think we learned over COVID, you know, five or six weeks, that habits change quite quickly. And, you know, in the US, they may have 14, 15 months of not being in the office. And that's more than changing habit. It's a whole new way of working. So there's a lot of issues for, um, you know, how businesses work, how you build culture and, and all those issues that I think everyone's working through. That's great to just, you know, get a bit of a handle on how that is in the, in the real world for zero. All right, thanks, Rod. Was there anything else that you wanted to add? No, I think, you know, big thing is, I think, you know, we've had a lot, there's been lots of good ideas. It's excited to see Rob appointed. But I think, you know, we, we've, you know, we do have this window of opportunity. And if we can, you know, make smart decisions on things that create long-term value, then we're in a good point. And I think there's a, a real fear that we're going to lose this opportunity. And I do think we're sitting under a false sense of uh, security at the, at the moment. The world could get... Um, you know, could go into a big depression still. There's, um, you know, the health outcomes aren't totally guaranteed and we're very, very lucky. So I think, um, you know, using this time wisely is incredibly important. It's frustrating there's a there's an election on now because that might slow us down for the next, you know, four to five months. Um, but I hope that, uh, you know, some of the politicians and uh, the business leaders can, can really walk and chew gum at the same time because we do need to keep moving. Um, you know, when if people aren't in employment and they're not getting paid, it creates a whole lot of other issues. So we need to be creating jobs and I think uh, spending money in a way that creates long-term value and uh, certainly plenty of ideas. It's time to get onto the action side of it. Sounds good. All right. I will thank you very much for uh, joining the podcast again, Rod. It's, uh, it's always appreciated having your uh, contribution to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Great, and uh, book my slot in for episode 1000. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. All Thanks, right. Rod. Take yeah, care. Paul. Up next, let's jump on in and hear from Peter Beck. You know, I'm Peter Beck, CEO and founder of, of Rocket Lab. And um, there's really two things that I'm incredibly passionate about. One is one is rockets, and the other is entrepreneurism, um, specifically in New Zealand. Now, what are your thoughts on this idea of us sort of trying to bring in outside companies so you know i guess rocket labs has done has done the reverse as many kiwi companies have done and you know started something in new zealand but ended up with operations in the u.s do you think there's merit to the idea of of encouraging some of those companies to set up 
uh, bases in, in New Zealand for doing some of their, their renovation and some of their work? Yeah, I think I think um, I think it's, it's got merit. The um, the challenge, of course, is making sure that you have the the infrastructure that's required to be able to support those companies. There's no point in trying to attract a giant tech company that requires two thousand software programmers when you know the industrial base of the country just can't support or doesn't have that. So uh, it's almost a little bit of a chicken and egg is to get that inorganic growth, um, you also need a lot of organic growth. Um, so, you know, we, we you know, there's, not, there's certainly nothing the matter with, with um, you know, attracting, trying to attract these large enterprises or even smaller enterprises to come and do things in New Zealand. But we also have to be cognizant that there has to be a solid business grounding for that. Um, and a company will, will always chase talent and the abundance of talent. So firstly, you need an abund abundance of talent before it's interesting for somebody to come. Yeah, I guess there's that challenge. And do you think that some companies would, uh, you know, some, some people from, you know, some, some of the firms uh, would be willing to come as individuals and to, uh, you know, to set something up that way. So rather than the company saying we're setting up in, in New Zealand that it's sort of more driven internally where you get a team who said, well, we'd actually be liking, like to work together in person right now rather than all being working from home for the next year. Um, could we bring our team down to New Zealand for, for a year sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've heard of, you know, examples of this, right, um, uh, whether it be researchers um, or uh, in, in, in scientists especially that, um, you know, that, that, that that's a real opportunity to you know bring down uh, a core group and, and collaborate and um, and and you know I think I think that's that, that's totally feasible. I guess the thing to be to be wary of is you know how how does that scale? Um, because ultimately, this is the problem with New Zealand is uh, is scale, and it's not not necessarily scale of, of people. It's it's really scale of ambition is is one of the. You know, the, the biggest issues, thinking big enough um, in, in the first place. So what are your, what what do you think we need to do? We, by the sounds of it, we certainly need to, to lift our ambitions a, a lot. And I mean, you, you know, people like yourself, um, you know, give a really great example to, to Kiwis what's what's possible when people have a big enough ambition and they have the, the tenacity and, and the drive to get out there and, uh, and make it happen and the associated uh, smarts and so on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and I think I think you know New Zealanders are you know incredibly good on the world stage at at succeeding and, and doing big things, and you know one one kind of feeds the other, um, and it's it's not a it's not a simple solution here. I mean, if, if we're really striving for a high productivity, high wage economy, then you know tech sector is, is a great way to get there. Um, but you know in order to, to build the tech sector, you need uh, great entrepreneurs, and in order to build great entrepreneurs, you need great access to great capital, not just cash, but you know capital and great capital is really a definition of, of um, you know people and and connections. So uh, you know it, there's, there's a lot of chickens and a lot of eggs here that that we all have to we all have to um, hatch. But really, where I've boiled it down to is that the kind of the, the kind of driving forcing function here is is um, is really thinking of ideas at scale, and um, once once you start that, then everything else flows. If you have ideas at scale, you have great on entrepreneurs by definition. If you have great entrepreneurs by definition with ideas at scale, they need great capital. 
So, you know, you, you can start building it until, you, you know, you reverse engineer out a high productivity and a high wage economy. And I think certainly, you know, bringing, bringing some, uh, some really interesting people over the country and trying to seed some of that is, is, is great. But, you know, the one thing that throttles us here at Rocket Lab the most is access to wonderful talent. Um, you know, we employ the, the, the smartest people that there are in New Zealand and on the planet, and um, there's not an infinite supply of those. Um, so growing more of those and creating opportunities for those is, is, is super important and, you know, will we'll attract um, uh, wonderful people. But um, we also have to take a longer-term vision on this is that, yes, look, COVID is, is, is a topic um, and it's hugely disruptive to the world. But I guess maybe I'm an... I'm, I'm an eternal optimist, but it will go away, right? It, it will be solved and we'll, things will be back to normal. So whatever we do here, we need to make sure it's sustainable for the future, that it's not just a, a little blip um, and we do a little bit of work, COVID goes away and it's like, oh, okay. Um, now there's no reason for anybody to come to New Zealand anymore and everything dies. So whatever we do there, we, we need to make sure that we, we, we do it in a long-term scale and sustainable way. Yeah, I like I like that thinking, and you know that is sort of very much my thought is we've we've got to be building something that's uh, that's long term, and yeah, the realities of how we do that, I guess it's, these things are always a little bit easier said than uh, said than done. It's easy to have the uh, the thoughts, but how we join that up and make it happen. So, in terms of for Rocket Lab, how hard has it been for you to bring those international people in, or is it? Is it to a degree more a challenge that because you're doing something that is so new that there actually just are very few people uh, in the world with this with the uh, experience that uh, that you would like to be able to draw on? Yeah, it's a bit of both, really. Um, you know, the the reality of the situation is that there has there has been two private companies to deliver spacecraft to orbit in the world. One is SpaceX and one is Rocket Lab. So it's not like there's there's a plethora of, of just, you know, 50 years of people just sitting there, you know, ready to go. And in some, some fields, there, there are, you know, you can count the, the number of specialists on a couple of hands and that, that are in the world total. And you have to go and attract one of those. Um, and the thing is that um, it's, it's almost success and breeds success. And, and you know, I, I tell everybody here or any, anybody who will listen is, you know, a, a company is not a logo, a branding or a slogan. A company is just a collection of, of great people. And if, if you don't have great people, you don't have a great company. So if you can hire great people, that attracts more great people because great people want to work with great people and so on. So, um, and the inverse, of course, is true. So, um, you know, when, when, when you have a great product, great people, it creates great culture, then it's easier to go and hire great people. And within Rocket Lab, you know, we have, we have people who have travelled the entire world. Uh, we have just about, we're the United Nations of, of the, you know, the rocket community, just about every country you could imagine. People have upsticked and shifted their whole families and, and their whole lives to New Zealand to you know, pursue our, our dreams and, and our vision here as a company. I love it, and and yeah, I mean that's very much what I would like to see is more great people coming to New Zealand, and and it's looking for those ways to uh, to to attract them. Um, and and lastly, I guess I'm you know, curious for your thoughts from you know, the work you do, particularly in the, in the US, but elsewhere too. How do you see New Zealanders rated as a place to do business, and how well are our people respected internationally? Yeah, I mean, so it, it varies. 
generally, especially within Silicon Valley, I would say, is from, from an entrepreneurial perspective. New Zealand entrepreneurs do extremely well in Silicon Valley because um, as, as a New Zealander, um, you know, you, you, you're generally very humble and you're not full of crap. You're generally, you know, very... Um, Whenever, whenever, when I even talk to our investors and we, we do deals and stuff up there, we know everyone just accepts if it's been pitched by a Kiwi, then what they're saying that's coming out of their mouth is 100% truth. Um, and there's no fuzz on, on integrity. Um, so New Zealand has a wonderful reputation. Now, of course, the challenge is there that the Kiwi that's up pitching in Silicon Valley, um, you know, uh, will, be, will be underselling what they've got. Um, and this is this is it, it's it's both a great quality. Being humble is a great quality of, of New Zealanders, but also, you know, if if you're trying to build a massive empire, um, sometimes you know you have to you know, get over your skis a little bit. So um, you know, so that's always you know slightly a challenge um, as well. But uh, I'm always surprised when I go around large corporations and walk around the sea of cubicles. You can guarantee. There's a Kiwi flag flying in one of those cubicles, and you know it's always up near the boss's office. It's never, it's never down the back. So New Zealanders do do extraordinarily well on, you know, on on the international um, scale. The challenge is, is um, actually, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, having the entrepreneurs that are thinking big enough that actually get on a plane and go to Silicon Valley and willing to be successful up there. That's probably a bigger challenge. Right. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Was there anything else that you wanted to add in on this subject, um, Pete? No, no. I think you covered it off really well, Paul. I mean, you know, I, like I say, it is the, the message for me is is um, you know go after the really big ideas and and be ambitious because at the end of the day, it's 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 no more effort or risk to go after something really big than than something just moderately big. So you may as well just quit wasting time and go for the, the really big stuff. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Oh, well, thank you very much for uh, for being on this, our 500th episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast, and we appreciate your past uh, contributions and just your willingness to share and inspire others within the tech and the, the business, the aerospace sectors. It's, it's awesome. Oh, always my pleasure, Paul. Thanks very much. Great insights there from... Peter Beck, certainly I love that advice that it's no more risky, no more effort to go after something really big rather than something moderately big. All right, well, it's time to jump in and hear from Anna Komenik. Hello, my name is Anna Komenik. I am country director of WISC New Zealand, uh, one of the world's first all-electric self-flying two-passenger vertical takeoff and landing air taxis. To the to your first sort of question around, you know, what is the what is the opportunity that we have right now, and how can we best actually, you know, use that for New Zealand Inc. Um, I look from my perspective, it's about leveraging New Zealand's crushing the curve advantage. Um, we're already small, we're already ambitious, we're already disruptive. We have early adopters in this country already. Um, and there's just these this wonderful opportunity because you know the team of five million have done such an outstanding job of you know creating an environment in which we can actually operate pretty much, know normally and as we were pre-COVID and that is very unusual in the world as we know and 
you know, aside from the, um, you know, quarantine and safety has to be at the forefront of this, I would really love to see New Zealand actually being brave and saying, what do we want out of this opportunity? How do we develop, um, you know, a capacity to attract and grow uh, fantastic uh, people and businesses? Um, is there an opportunity for us to develop a targeted program to attract world-class talent for like a two-year fellowship so that they're working in or starting businesses that are innovative uh, and taking New Zealand to that kind of high-value, high-skilled, zero-carbon uh, economy that is more equitable that we're all striving for. So that's kind of my big idea around that. That's great. Any other thoughts on you know, other things that we should be doing to grow the area of technology and, and innovation? I think there is a real opportunity for us to be rethinking how we do business. Um, I think that that, uh, that opportunity to actually say, you know, this should be any advantages that we get out of this future economy that we're seeking to build must be something that everybody in New Zealand can participate in. Um, I think, you know, we have really experienced what we can do as a country uh, through the lockdown, that together we can actually achieve amazing results. And I would love to see that uh, the essence of that actually carried through into our ambition for a future economy and how we actually operate it. So that there are just as many opportunities for those who are struggling right now as there are for those, you know, at the top uh, who are, you know, have the advantages of education and wealth and all the rest of it. It must be a deep advantage that everybody gets. Thanks, Anna. That makes a lot of sense. And are there any comments that you can share around the WISC story, whether it's how well it's going, having WISC uh, based you know, across two countries and with operations and testing happening here in New Zealand, or whether it's as to uh, why New Zealand was chosen, any of those things that might just help with the narrative? Yeah, I think the key thing for me in terms of WISC and why New Zealand is that I think we underestimate how much New Zealand has to give companies like ours. Um, you know, WISC did a global search for the best jurisdiction to actually come to, and New Zealand beat out eight other jurisdictions uh, in the matrix that they had. And the thing that they were looking for was not, you know, as I sometimes get, you know, is it just a, a place to, to certify quickly? No, it was around you know, rule of law around the ability to actually do business easily, the the economy, the government being progressive, a uh, regulatory authority that was credible and a community that was forward thinking. And New Zealand has all of those. And we need to value that very highly uh, when we seek to attract people or businesses. We have something that is of value. And sometimes I think we undervalue it because we're just 
you know, gobsmacked that, um, you know, we'll get the attention sometimes. Um, I think also from the WISC experience is that in any technology, it's not just the what, it's the how. And one of the things that um, attracted me to working in the, in the company in, in WISC was that they're very focused on the how. It's not just the platform, it's also how does this actually make a difference? How do you work with community? How do you work with stakeholders? How do you work with government to actually create partnerships? And that's been incredibly powerful because what it also does is that the, the benefits, as I've sort of referred to earlier, just really become quite deep into the community and into government and into policy making. You can kind of contribute in ways that are beyond just the bottom line. Uh, they actually create, you know, more benefit for everybody. And we learn from it too. So the business learns from it as well. There's benefit on both sides. Yeah. And has WISC ended up with a mix of New Zealand and uh, international staff? How has that sort of played out? Most like definitely, out? most definitely. So we, in our journey um, over the last three years that we've been operating in New Zealand, we now have a New Zealand team. We have um, a bunch of very talented engineers who have joined uh, the team. Uh, there has been a lot of investment uh, in their growth and in their um, understanding of autonomy and this particular platform, which is new to the world. Um, we've got a, a fantastic, um, you know, integration of both um, our American DNA and our New Zealand DNA. And it's what it's creating is something, you know, actually very, very special because, you know, both cultures have enormous strengths uh, and to match those two together in a way that uh, creates something disruptive but important for the community. It's really, uh, really exciting to be part of. Yeah, I, I think that is that is exciting. And have there been any sort of indicators to you through this journey that other entities would be keen on doing something similar? Because the WISC case is quite a unique case, but you know, WISC has has involvement with a whole mix of uh, of people in, in the US side, uh, whether you know Boeing, etc. Can you talk to to that sort of aspect? Whether you know what those sort of indicators have been like from uh, from from the US perspective in terms of working here and in terms of potential future interest. Yeah, look, I think the US side are really patting themselves on the back for coming to New Zealand, obviously with the COVID uh, aspect. I mean, we were one of the first companies and we were certainly the first part of the team to get back to work uh, in an office. So, you know, that's been a huge advantage in terms of getting back to flight tests and getting back to our work um, and being able to, to get on with those face-to-face -face conversations that are always really important. In terms of the interest in New Zealand, it is it is palpable, I have to say, both from current colleagues but also uh, former colleagues who really see New Zealand as something of an exemplar in terms of not only how it's managed COVID, 
but also in terms of the opportunities that are, you know, the, the vision that it has around that zero carbon economy and doing things differently. Um, and that's, that is creating, uh, I would say, future opportunities. I can't talk about them too much at the moment, but they are really exciting. And what they will do is confirm that New Zealand is really a leader in the aero and space industries and that's pretty exciting uh, to see. Yeah, I have to agree on that one. Now, to the political side, and you don't have to talk to this at all, <laughs> but, you know, I, I guess I'm, I am have a have, a, have a, a bit of hope that, you know, if we uh, we make the right noises at the right time, who knows, maybe uh, government will take notice. I, I guess I'm worried about our borders being closed to business for six or, or 12 months. And, you know, I'd be incredibly happy if they would crack open the borders a little bit to, you know, some appropriate parties. Is that uh, something you'd be happy to comment on at all, Anna? Yeah, look, I'm really happy to comment on that because I've been a really strong advocate of New Zealand thinking carefully about how we uh, take advantage, as I said, of the crushing the curve advantage that I think we have. Um, I, you know, even a fortress, and we call ourselves the fortress of New Zealand at times at the, at the moment, even a fortress has a door and that door is open judiciously to allow people in and people out. And I think safety has to be at the forefront. And I think we're starting to get those quarantine uh, processes really well um, managed. You know, there have been a few operational quarantine issues, but they're very small numbers compared to those when you consider the number of people coming in each week. I think that's, a, you know, it's, it's an outstanding um, record really there if you look at it in context but I do believe we can't just bury our heads in the sand and wait for COVID to be over realistically even if we get a, a vaccination there will be a six to twelve month um, you know drawdown on that before actually there is free movement or that that danger has gone so are we seriously thinking that we're going to be completely locked down from the outside world for the next two years, uh, potentially? I would say that would be, um, you know, that's not necessarily the best way to manage it. I think we have to think very carefully about what we're trying to do, what is the economy we're trying to create, how do we do that best, and who do we need to help us and we reach out, we actually proactively get out there and say, what are the target areas that will advance New Zealand's overall strategy for the future? You know, what, what in future of food? What in high tech, sort of big data? What in aero and space? What about, you know, in those low carbon regenerative economies and, you know, and the education economy? Where are we going to allow people in and what are the processes for doing that? Because I do not think that just keeping the borders closed to everybody is an option if we want to create, you know, or really use this opportunity well. Well, it's hard to disagree with that. We certainly do need to make the most of the opportunities that we have now. It's time to hear from our last guest today, Bill O'Connor. My name is Bill O'Connor from uh, San Francisco, and I run an innovation agency called Agents of Innovation. Three things. It's like, one, innovation is about culture, so why not New Zealand? Two, COVID, work from anywhere, 
New Zealand's far away. Who cares? And three, there's a window. And it, I, it's almost like there's a, there's a, I could say, a, a train leaving, a, a spaceship leaving around all these emerging technologies. Never in human history, not even close, have we had more emerging technologies coming online. Not ever, ever, ever. So there's a window there as well. So I think if you look at all three of those things, that it, rubric to me is the beginnings of a strategy for a place like New Zealand to change the culture and attract people that reflect that culture. So I'll stop there. Well, there we go. Fantastic to hear from Rod Drury, Peter Beck, Anna Kominick, and Bill O'Connor on this, the 500th episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, feel free to pop across to my personal website, paulspain.com. You can certainly message me through through there as well. But you know, any any feedback on these thoughts that we've uh, we've shared today, would love to hear them. And of course, through our varying social media uh, channels, LinkedIn. Uh, Facebook and Twitter, New Zealand Tech Podcast is across all of them, as am I, Paul Spain. So, yeah, you can really uh, reach out using those mechanisms. And, of course, this episode being our 500th a chance just to say thank you to all of you for, for listening in. And I know some of you have been listening to all the episodes right back to uh, episode one. And a special thank you to Brad Boros and Skip Parker, who co-hosted the New Zealand Tech Podcast in the early days. A thank you to all of the technology companies that have supported us in, in varying uh, ways over over the years to date, including access to all the latest and greatest technologies, uh, those that have taken me to events up and down the country and around the world. That's, uh, that's hugely appreciated. And of course, a big, massive thank you to the brands that stand behind not only the New Zealand Tech Podcast, but also that show their support to technology and innovation ecosystems here in New Zealand. And those companies are Vodafone New Zealand, Sumo Logic, Samsung, HP, Vocus, Spark New Zealand, and of course, headline partner, Umbrella Connect. So thanks everyone. And of course, don't forget, you can head across to podcasts.nz and worldpodcast.com to find some of our other shows, uh, including the New Zealand uh, Business Podcast, where we have interviews with Rod Drury and, uh, and Peter Beck in full. And of course, other shows such as New Zealand Everyday Investor, the Electric Vehicle Podcast, and This Climate Business, to name just a few. That's it from me, Paul Spain, signing out for this week. We'll catch you next week on episode 501. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.